Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I am Tom Brown and your host today, Aaron Brownback. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Aaron Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. And today we've got a couple of great guests. In a little bit, we will be speaking with Rhonda Stoppi, the author of Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, who will talk with us about how moms can influence their children to be uh, godly adults. And uh, one of the areas that we'll be talking about with her is how they can raise them to be godly adults in the area of sexuality. I also have a wonderful guest with me today, Barbara Rays Barnett, who works in the area of um, abortion. And she has helped to orchestrate um, the people here in Phoenix to speak out about the importance of, um, you know, the dignity of human life and the value of human life. Barbara, it's so great to have you here today. Welcome. Erin, thank you so much for inviting me. So you helped to organize the group called Protest Abortion Arizona. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And where can people find out more about your group? You can find out more about Protest Abortion Arizona by visiting our Facebook page, which is Pause P A A Z, Pause Protest Abortion Arizona. Okay, wonderful. So now I've had um, a wonderful experience getting to interact with you and a very large group of people here in Phoenix who care about the dignity of of human life and um, the life of prenatal children who come together to pray and to protest out in front of abortion facilities, particularly Planned Parenthood, which we have several locations of here in Arizona. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, what what you all do, because I think that there's there's an everyday component, um, a regular at least component, and then there's these sort of big rallies and protests. So tell people a little bit more about what you're doing. Well, protest is a word that, you know, people hear and they think, oh, you know, riots and things. And right, no, that's right. not what we're about at no. all. We're I very... usually wear dresses while I do it, just by yes. the way. <laughs> we're a very peaceful and sometimes fashionable group. <laughs> Protest, as um, I have learned, uh, is a word that means pro, which means for, in favor of, test, coming from testament. We're all familiar with the Old Testament, the New Testament, truth. Oh, wow. Test. Wow. We are in favor of telling the truth. So we hear lots of euphemisms when we talk about abortion. You know, we hear the word choice. We hear, you know, the word privacy between a woman and her doctor. And um, we need to talk about telling the truth. So we need to say what abortion is. We need to say who the people are who are involved. And as a group, what we do is we help people just um, respond by showing up in front of abortion businesses to protest and pray. In other words, hold up a sign that says the truth, such as abortion hurts women. Yes, not just the children, not just the prenatal children, but the women who have to live with that ongoing. Which is a message that uh, from the woman's perspective, going into one of these abortion businesses, a sign that says abortion hurts women can make her stop and think long enough to give her a chance to think, okay, how will this really affect me? Because in that moment, that's really where that woman is. We don't need to judge women for that. That's Every woman has an ambivalent moment during her pregnancy. 
Right. So that sign could really give her the time she needs to think and have another chance before she goes in. You know, it was interesting. I was at one of these rallies, one of these protests, and I took pictures, lots of pictures. And one of them that I posted on Twitter was um, a woman holding a sign that said, I will adopt your baby. And it had her phone number on it. Well, that that tweet got posted at least 10,000 more times with more hate than anything else I've ever put out there because people were not comfortable with the truth. They wanted to know, no, I can just do this and this is an unwanted child and there's, you know, no consequences. And they were really faced with something they weren't prepared for. Um, you are listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown and we are talking with Barbara Rays Barnett. We will be right back. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown, and we are talking with the lovely Barbara Rays Barnett. Barbara, you are you and your husband are small business owners. You run a, a small entertainment business, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, but on the side, totally outside of your company, you have come together with other people in the Phoenix area to um, organize prayer and protest around abortion, particularly at Planned Parenthood facilities. So how did you go from, you know, just running your own business, being an ordinary citizen, to being an orchestrator of, you know, change around the life issue? Well, as with any good work, it starts with a stirring in your heart from the Holy Spirit. And uh, we feel very led in prayer to stand in front of Planned Parenthood and get the people who are inside to come outside. That that was our message in prayer. Get get people to come out of this terrible place. So is that both women who are considering aborting their prenatal child and, and the workers and the people who work there? Yes. And have you seen, you know, have you seen um people doing that? People responding, coming out from within Planned Parenthood, either these women or these workers? Well, uh, first of all, yes, I've seen um, sidewalk counselors affect tremendous change in the personal lives of women who approach Planned Parenthood for help. Mm. Um, I've seen many women turn around and not have their abortion. And I've had the, you know, just the overwhelming experience of watching women um, have an ultrasound in the mobile ultrasound clinic that's parked next to Planned Parenthood. And when they see their baby, and this on the isn't screen, a Planned Parenthood ultrasound clinic. This no, is this is this is a pro-life pregnancy center, completely free. Planned Parenthood takes your money. These mobile ultrasound clinics won't even take any money right there and in it, the mobile clinic. I've known I've known people who have gone to Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood has said we can't even tell yet if you're pregnant. And they've said, well, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to come back. Like it's too, it's just too difficult, too emotional. And and the Planned Parenthood worker turned around and said, oh. There's the heartbeat, and they did an abortion. And this friend of mine didn't even know if she was pregnant, had an abortion to this day, doesn't know if she was pregnant. So you've that got— That is heartbreaking on yes. every level. And I've watched, while women have their ultrasound, um, I have watched their faces just melt when they hear the heartbeat and see the baby on the screen. And they once, once, once a woman is in that situation where she has now seen her baby, 
Mm-hmm. And she falls in love with her baby and she never turns back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we can just help her with what she needs to raise that baby because a very important message to any woman going into one of these, you know, I heard once that a woman chooses abortion the way a trapped animal chooses to gnaw its own leg off to get out of the trap. Wow, that is a great analogy. Painful, but... Very painful. But the the important and hopeful part, and I like to live in the hopeful part here, is um, when we say to a mom, hey, I've been there. You can do this. I know it's hard. I know that you've got stuff you're facing, but I'm sure that... You have a lot of good ideas, and maybe, you know, if you just had this or that, you know, support, um, we could we could help you right. make this we'll work out. we'll come alongside you. And most women, that's what they actually want. It's not that they want to have an abortion. It's that they want to, whatever, not lose face or not um, have to stop working or right. not have to stop going to college. I've heard it's like 83% of women who have an abortion say they felt they had no other choice. Yes. Which doesn't sound very pro-choice, and if you ask me. That statistic is quite believable because it comes to us from the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-choice research Right, Institute. Planned Parenthood's research arm. Yes. Exactly. Wow. So why do you think it is so important um, to pray, to be out there praying and to pray publicly? You know, why not just pray at home for these women? What does being there do to help influence women in the culture? Well, first of all, um, when we go in front of Planned Parenthood, we do hold signs and pray, and that affects change that we may never know about because prayer works on a level that we can't necessarily see with our physical eyes. Sometimes we see the evidence of it. Sometimes we don't. Obviously, we avoid all confrontation, and we're very peaceful. Um, Sometimes we'll see uh, pro-choice escort or um, picketer with a sign that says, Jesus said to pray in private, not in public. And I... Yeah, do you think that that's... I mean, what what would you say in response to that? First of all, if I were looking for spiritual direction, that might not be the source I would look to <laughs> that for that spiritual direction. Okay, that's very fair. Yes. Um, but second of all, I want to say, okay, so um, typically what people are referring to is the scripture passage in Matthew chapter 6. Um, in which Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray on the street corners so that everybody can see them. And they, you know, in, in Jesus's day, there were literally people who would stand on the corner and have, and they would hire someone to blow a horn loudly while they prayed on the street corner in a loud to draw voice, attention, to draw attention right. and to get praise. Well, guess what? When we pray in front of Planned Parenthood, we're not getting any praise for it. And my <laughs> no, personal... you're getting some pushback, aren't you? <laughs> We're not getting praise. We're getting pushback. And my personal experience, and I'm not the only one, we get ridiculed. We, I've had rocks thrown at me. Mm. I've had cans of Coke thrown at me. Um, I've had people try to ram me with their car. So, you know, also I think we could say not only are we not getting any praise, but Jesus prayed in public over and over during his ministry on mm. earth. He prayed in public, and it is okay to pray in public. Um, and finally, you know, if we're going to be quoting the Bible, I would like to suggest that we quote Proverbs chapter 24. Did you fail to rescue those who were being dragged off to death? 
those tottering, those near death, because you said, oh, we didn't know about it? Mm. Surely the searcher of hearts knows and will repay all according to their deeds. Mm. Absolutely. We all we all do have a role to play as far as dignifying human life. There are plenty of times throughout history where we have seen various groups of people be treated as though they were less than human. And we are seeing that in this day and age. We have reached about 60 million abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade. That is the equivalent of the populations of Washington State, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah all combined. That is how many people we have aborted. And when you are standing out there, I know it's I know it's got its troubling moments. I know it's got its difficult moments, but you are being a visible voice for the invisible prenatal child. I often think of children um, in the womb being much like the Jews in Auschwitz, the ovens of Auschwitz. We couldn't see them. And so did we just turn a blind eye and say, oh, I didn't even know that it was going on. So thank you for standing and being that visible voice. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Koinonia on 1360 KPXQ. I am Aaron Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. We are talking with Barbara Rays Barnett, who helps to organize Protest Abortion Arizona. And Barbara, if people wanted to join you, if they also wanted to be a visible voice for the prenatal child, where would they go? What website would you send them to to find out when there's a rally and how they could get involved? We would love to talk with anybody who would like to pray and protest in front of an abortion business. You can reach us by emailing protestabortionaz at gmail.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, P-A-A-Z, Protest Abortion Arizona. Okay, so protest, ab- protest Abortion Arizona. Arizona. Okay. And also, if you're looking for the date for an upcoming rally. So there are people who pray out in front of uh, facilities on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Is that correct? That's correct. But then you have these big times, these big rallies where a lot of people will come. How, how often do you do that? Yes. And both are important. The, the weekly presence and the big rallies, both are very important. The big rallies happen um, several times a year. There's a national group, protestpp.com. Protestpp.com. Okay. And you can go there to find out. Go there to find out. And there's a national day of prayer and protest against abortion coming up this month in April. Okay. And you can go to protestpp.com to find the location nearest you. Okay, so protestpp.com. Go and find the location. And I just really encourage you. I found that, you know, I don't like things that are very strident and very, you know, uh, a lot of tension. But I found it to be a wonderful group of people that I got to interact with. And I felt good about being there and standing up as a voice, taking pictures, putting them out on social media. You know, I love to do that. I like to find the most fashionable people and put pictures out. I love that. (laughs) And you know, Erin, people are surprised when they come to our events because we have sidewalk chalk for the children, bubbles. Balloons. I've seen baby balloons. All kinds of prayer going on. Yes. And toys for the children. And I think a testament to how peaceful and um, beautiful our events yeah, are loving. It came from um, one of the detectives told me that the a person very high in, in the security department for all of Planned Parenthood in Arizona walked through one of our rallies and said, oh, 
this is really nice. <laughs> Maybe he should join. <laughs> okay, Barbara, We're we just for have, him. Yes, absolutely. We just have one minute left, but could you just tell us in a snippet your own personal experience with the abortion industry and what you've had to face in your life that's made you passionate about this? So much of the abortion industry is based on the quote-unquote hard cases. Um, I'm the mom of a little girl who was born with a condition called anencephaly. Um, And that's water on the brain? No, anencephaly means that uh, it's a neural tube defect. It means that most of the um, brain is missing and the skull is missing. So um, my daughter was given either a chance of being stillborn or having Mm. very few days of life. Can I just say the operative word in that sentence is life. Mm. And um, the the beautiful gift I was given is I had an obstetrician who told me you could take her home. And we did. She lived long enough to come home. She died in my arms. When most people were being encouraged healing. to, you know, just end her life and not get to cherish even and, that bit of time together. she's going to die anyway. So what's your hurry to kill her? Mm. Let her live. Let her live. That's great that you had that and you made that decision against what I'm sure were some great pressures and odds. Barbara, thank you so much for being with us today. You are listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. And we are coming back today to talk with Rhonda Stoppi, who is a well-known speaker, an author of some fantastic books. She is the wife of uh, pastor husband Steve and the mother of four grown children. Rhonda, it is great to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. So, Rhonda, you... um, your website is noregretswoman.com, and you teach women how to live no-regrets lives. Is that correct? That is correct. So you've written this book that I think a lot of moms and a lot of women need to hear the message of. It's called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. And I loved when I looked at the book um, that you talk about God calling you to the mission of motherhood. Tell us a little bit more about the mission of motherhood and also what prompted you to write this book. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, we have all this social media, and you'll be scrolling along, and all of a sudden you'll see somebody puts a little stick with some lines on it, and you're like, okay, somebody peed on a stick. Does that Do those lines mean <laughs> she's pregnant or not pregnant? Okay, she's going to have a baby. And then what is, what is the first thing that women do is they you know, start shopping for adorable maternity clothes, which I got pregnant in the 80s when it was the worst maternity <laughs> clothes on the planet. Big old bow around your neck so that it would hide from your belly was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Draw attention elsewhere. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, they get on Pinterest and how are we going to decorate the baby's room? Are we going to find out if it's a boy or girl? Let's do the ultrasound. And it's super exciting and super consuming that you're going to have this baby. And yet... When God calls us to be a mom, he calls us to a ministry of motherhood. If God called you to the deepest, darkest Africa to be a missionary, 
you'd shop for the clothes that they wore. You'd want to want to blend in. You would learn the language. You would want to be prepared for that mission. But you would have your Bible, and you would be saying, I need to have God's Word hidden in my heart. I need to be prepared every morning when I wake up, keeping my eyes on Jesus, because this ministry He's called me to, He says, any ministry He's called us to, don't be afraid or dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will help you. And yet, we forget that when he hands us the ministry of motherhood, whether it's through biological children, whether it's through adoption or foster care, I know a lot of grandparents that have their kids kids in their homes, mm-hmm. we have to stop and say, wait, God called me to this mission field, and so how am I going to prepare myself to be the woman he's calling me to be so I can guide these children towards a no-regrets life? You know, so- that's so interesting. It reminds me of... Um, how people say um, couples plan more for the wedding than the marriage. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So it's like you're planning more for, you know, and, and believe me, I get the whole getting onto Pinterest and picking out the cutest nursery and clothing and things like that. But it's like you're planning more for the birth than the raising of this child. Correct. And that's really the reason that I wrote Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, because I knew when I had my kids the kind of mom I was going to be. She was perfect. (laughs) She was going to always respond in kindness. She was never going to lose her temper. She was not going to get frustrated when the baby woke her up all night long. My first child had colic, which I didn't even know what colic Mm -hmm. was. I just knew I wanted to be a mom so bad, and after I had her, I was like, why did I want this? It's so hard. Put her back. Put her back. <laughs> she woke up at four months. It was like a different baby. I'm like, oh, this is who I was waiting for. <laughs> but I knew I wasn't the mom that I meant to be. I knew that that I wanted to be something different, but I didn't know how to get there. And I think there's so much mom guilt. There's so much laying in bed mm. at night at the end of the day saying, I'll be a better mom tomorrow. In fact, I wrote an article for the Mob Society called, I'll be a better mom tomorrow. Because we do that. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm going to keep up the laundry. I'm gonna, whatever it is that you're trying to, you know, do as a mom. Yeah, I, I think a lot of moms feel like that. Yeah. I think they just feel like, I'm going to get out of yoga pants tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> really, just buy all black yoga pants because you can wear the same ones for three days. Nobody even knows. <laughs> so you, <laughs> talk, uniform. you talk about a mom in your book that I've, I, I know I've never thought about. I, thought, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't have thought about King David's mom. I was really interested in what you said about her and how she allowed her son to become a man while he was still at home. Tell us about that and how moms can do that for their own sons. Well, the way I learned to be the mom that I was trying to be was by looking around to other women. My husband was a youth pastor at the time, and I would look at the moms of the kids in our youth group, and I would look at their relationship with their children, and I went to those women and I said, I need help. And these women... I thought they were going to, you know, have coffee with me, and yeah, I know it's hard, but you can do it, be my cheerleader. They invited me to a Bible study, and I'm like, ladies, I don't need another Bible study. I need to be a better mom. (laughs) (laughs) And I went because I didn't want them to think I wasn't spiritual, and there was free babysitting. Right, because then you'd be a bad mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back back to mom guilt. Hashtag mom guilt. (laughs) So I went, and I found that the women that were in this study were not my age. They were all older. And I'm 56 years old. As of May 1st, I'll be 56. I'm trying that age on precise. (laughs) And I knew that these women were older than me, but I was like, I don't care. I want to hang out with women who've walked the path ahead of me. And Titus 2 calls the older women to do that. So that's really why I wrote Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Imagine 
if you had your own personal mommy mentor. And so what I learned from these scriptures, and I had studied the Word, but all of a sudden I was seeing it through the eyes of these women with this wisdom. But if we look at David's story, here's David. You know, he's on a hillside taking care of his father's sheep. He comes, uh, Samuel comes, anoints him as king. One day his dad sends him to take lunch to his brothers that are on the battlefield. David shows up. His brothers are hiding instead of fighting this giant that is calling out Yahweh. And he's like, I'll fight him. I'll fight him right now. And he's like 17 years old. You know, his brothers are like, just go home. He just came to see what's going on. You know, it's just the typical family stuff. And all of a sudden, the king gets wind that David said he'll fight this this giant. So he puts his armor on David, and it doesn't fit. You know, I think of that kid in that You'll Shoot Your Eye Out movie where he's all bundled up in the snow gear. He's like, so he takes it all off. He's like, I'm not going to do it that way. He takes his slingshot. But he says this to the king. He says, God gave me victory over a lion and a bear, and I know he will give me victory over this giant. And what I love about that story is we have to go back and say, okay, he was 17 years old when he was getting ready to fight a giant. That means he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands when he was taking care of his father's sheep when he was younger than 17 years old. Right, 14, 15, 16. How many mothers out there think, oh, yeah, I'm going to let my child go and wrestle a bear to the ground? And so where was his mom when Mm -hmm. he was fighting a lion and a bear? You know, I think if my son would have come home and said, Dad, the coolest thing happened today, a bear came and he was trying to kill one of the sheep and God gave me victory over the bear. I'd have been like, that's awesome. And then when he left the room, I'd be like, he doesn't work for you anymore. Yeah, that's the last time you're going out to take care of the sheep without, like, an armed guard around you. Exactly. And yet, what we have to realize as mom is God sent the lion and he sent the bear to show David he would give him victory and prepare him to fight the giant. Mm. That gives me, it makes me cry every time mm. because I know the lions and the bears that God has sent in my own children's lives. And we as moms want to rescue our kids as much as we possibly can. And when we can't, and God doesn't take away the struggle, or God sees the struggle, but he doesn't seem to care. He seems to let it happen anyway. Moms tend to believe, well, God wants me always to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. He wants my kids to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and that's, that's true love. But God says, no, I, I love your children so much. While they're still under your roof, I'm going to send struggles so they can learn that I can give them the victory so that when they're not under your roof, they're not relying on you. They'll rely on me. Right, so that you can be there for them while they're going through those struggles. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Queen and Neon, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, and I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown, and we are talking with Rhonda Stoppy today, um, who you can reach at noregretswoman.com, and we're talking about her book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Now, Rhonda, so I had a friend, um, I have a friend who uh, was a single mom, and I can remember that when her son was very young, she discouraged him to do anything violent, playing with swords or guns or anything like that, because she thought, oh, that's wrong and that'll raise him badly. And then she learned and she read some things and she realized boys have this need to conquer and to adventure and and to, you know, slay the dragon. And so she started learning how to play with him um, to be for him to be able to live that out. What's your recommendation? I think there's a lot of single moms out there who really need advice and wisdom on how to be a good mom to boys. Well, I think for single moms, 
that my heart goes out to you. I have some very good friends that have been single moms that have raised incredible children through adulthood. And the number one thing for our sons, and actually for our daughters too, I've raised two sons and two daughters, is that they need male role models in their life. They need godly men that they can look to to be for heroes. And not just men that call themselves Christian, but men that are passionate Christ followers. So if you're a single mom, my husband was a youth pastor for 18 years, and there were a lot of young kids that came through our, our high school department that these single moms would be like, he's giving me a hard time. You know what? He is not you know, respecting me or whatever. And Steve could take that child aside and say, hey, your mom's working hard to take care of you. Your mom's doing this, this, and this, and you're a man of the house, and you have to fill in the blank. And I think if we as single, the ones that are single moms realize that there is a vast source of strength and awesome heroes that they can find if they take their kids to a church that provides that. And even, mm-hmm. you know, in our own home, my, my husband's an amazing man, and I adore him, and my son's adored my husband. But well, our son, Brandon, when he was coming up through junior high and he was trying to figure out, you know, how to be a man, uh, he needed godly mentors. And he went to work for a man in our church that had a machine shop. And that man expected perfection out of him when he was working. And I, when I would ask Brandon to sweep my kitchen, he'd be like, ah, this guy had Brandon sweeping his machine shop meticulously, getting everything off the floor. And Brandon couldn't wait for him to get an attaboy. Yeah. And that's why we need the family of Christ, right? Because sometimes we have those pieces missing in our own families. And sometimes you just need more. You know, you've got You've got a father who is into business and you're into art or something else. And you just need somebody who can come alongside you that has some of those same interests and call out the best in you. Um, I remember with my friend, I used to play swords with her son, but all I had was knitting needles to work with so that we just used what we could because, you know, that's what the family of Christ does. Um, This is Aaron Brownback, and you're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am talking with Rhonda Stoppi, and we will be back right after this break. Welcome back. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. And today we are talking with Rhonda Stoppi, the author of Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. You can find Rhonda at NoRegretsWoman.com. And Rhonda, you mentioned in our last segment that your own sons have experienced some big trials while in your home, some some lions and bears that they've had to wrestle like King David did when he was a, when he was a young young man. What what were some of those? Tell us about, about what they experienced and had to face. You know, it's interesting because when we are letting, we were talking in the last segment about boys and fighting and swords and conquering, um, there's a section in the book called Train His Brain. We get to look to them and impart the vision, see those areas that they excel or see those areas that they're drawn to and, and speak truth into their lives about what I see in you. I You can be that. And you know, when you're playing those video games and you're killing people all day long, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I know you don't want to be a violent man that feasts on violence all day long. Um, so I'm going to help you become the man. I know you want to be a kind-hearted man. Uh, there's, a, there's a real balance between conquering 
and yet letting them just play video games till they're just addicted to them, right? which is a real problem in our culture. Uh, and I think moms know that, but I think it's something we have to be aware of and give them you know, specific time slots that we let them do that and teach them, train their brain. What you're thinking is going to mold the man you become. What kind of man do you want to be? Hmm. So with my son, Brandon, I was going to tell you a story about uh, his situation. When he was about six years old, he started having seizures. And we went to the hospital, and he was, you know, put on the EEG machine, and they did all these tests. And here's a little secret for you, Mom. When he was asleep, and they were doing the test, and he had his brain all hooked up. I kissed him on his forehead, and the tech called me over, and she circled it with a marker, and she wrote, Mom's kiss. Uh, they know you kiss them when they're sleeping. Uh, and so when your kids hit junior high, I used to sneak in my kid's room and kiss them. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy loves you so much. <laughs> it sinks in. It does. But when Brandon, um, I figured the, the seizure was a one-time thing, but it wasn't. The new, they, they came back and said he had severe seizure activity in his brain. And so they put him on medication. And the medication was so strong to keep the seizures under control that it sedated him heavily. So we were living in Austin, Texas at the time. We'd moved there to plant a church. And, and here's Brandon. Uh, I wanted him to play sports. I was co- coaching high school cheerleading at the time, and, you know, football is just life in Texas. Right. And he didn't want to do any of that, and he wanted to just play his guitar. We had bought him a guitar. So what we found was every instrument that Brandon picked up, he could play, and we had praise band practice in our house every Wednesday night for the church, and he would just sit behind the different musicians, and he could play those instruments. And so we decided we would just pour into him as a musician. So Brandon became this incredible musician. And I remember one day he had a severe seizure. We had 200 teenagers downstairs in our house. I went up in my room and I cried. And I'm like, God, I quit. I'm done. We're serving you and you cannot heal my son of seizures. And you know, if you hide God's word in your heart, the Bible says you won't sin against him. And in that moment, I heard the still small voice of the spirit whisper to my heart, in everything give thanks for this is the Mm. word of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I said, I don't know how, but I'm willing if you change my heart. I will say thank you with my lips, but there is nothing thankful in my heart. And, you know, sometimes when we get to that point where we think God's letting us down, if we would just wait on him, just don't look at the storm, look at Christ. And as we waited on him and we watched, we saw Brandon emerge as this incredible musician that played worship for the Lord. And what I learned was that I wanted to hear the crowd glory in my son's accomplishments as he hit one out of the park or made a basket or whatever. But God said, Mama, i got to get you out of the way because you're going to raise an arrogant little athlete, and I know the plans I have for Brandon. Mm. And God said, I'm going to raise up this young man to bring the crowd to glory in my son's accomplishments. And Brandon has grown up, and he went to California Baptist University and studied music, and he's now a worship leader in Riverside, California, and he leads people to worship the King. So what if I had quit that day? What if I had shook my fist at God and said, you let me down, I'm out, which women do. Right. truly his, we will come back, but at what cost? Our kids, a lot of times our trial is not about us. It's about our kids learning that what we say we believe about God, we really believe. So it's learning to not look at the trial, but to say, okay, God, what are you trying to show my children as I walk through this trial with my eyes fixed on you. Right. I mean, we don't want our family, our children, our loved ones to hurt. And and I think you're right that we often think if someone that I care about is hurting and I'm hurting because of that, God must not love me or not love them. 
and but, question his goodness, which exactly that's the original sin in the garden. When, exactly. When he tempted Eve, Satan said, you know, God, we're good. He wouldn't want, he doesn't want you to know what you know. So eat the fruit. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. Right. Right. And I have found myself in that same position you were in many times where I will pray, God, I don't know how to be grateful or to love or to forgive or whatever the issue is. I don't even want to be grateful or to love or forgive, but I want to want to. And if you can work with that, I'm open. And it's amazing to see how he has been faithful to work in me with just that little bit of willingness. Absolutely. And here's the secret for moms. Number one, hiding your word and hiding God's word in your heart, but in the heart of your children so that they have the Holy Spirit can speak to them at that point where they're ready to step out and to do something that is sinning against the Lord. But also, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. Righteousness, number one, begins with a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you just stumbled across this station. We are not talking about religion. My heart is for you to know that the, the lover of your soul, the creator of heaven and earth, made you to have a relationship with him. And that was lost in the garden when sin entered into the world. And God sent his beloved son to die on a cruel cross to let mere creation crucify the Creator, and then He rose again to purchase you for Himself, to buy you back. He treasures you that much. Mm -hmm. And if we, number one, have a relationship with Jesus, and He takes our sins as far as east and the west, and He washes us whiter than snow, then as believers, we have to be responsible to keep our hearts from sinning. So when we have, you know, your kid hits junior high and you start resenting him because, or or her, because they're not measuring up to your expectations, that bitterness, that resentment, anything will will render your prayers ineffective if you have sin in your heart. Mm-hmm. So we have to battle our own hearts. Search me, O oh God. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. So that my prayers can be effective. I think of Moses sitting on the hilltop with his arms in the air, holding that, that rod up as he interceded for Joshua and the people that were fighting the battle. When his arms were up, the battle was won. When he got weary, the battle was lost. And then he had to look around for others to help him intercede and hold his arms up. That's what we're doing, moms, when we send our kids out into this world. But if our hearts are not pure, if I'm, if I'm bitter against my husband because he's not making me happy, which that's the name of my other book, if my husband would change, I'd be happy. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm resenting my husband, I can't be an effective prayer warrior for my kids, for my husband. I cannot be who God's calling me to be in this generation because the, the root of bitterness defiles many. And it begins with defiling my marriage, and it defiles my parenting. Mm-hmm. And and let alone just being an example, you know, not only interceding for your family, but being an example to them of of what it looks like to go through difficult times, being firmly held in God's hand, and and being secure in that. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Coin and Neon Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown, and we are having a delightful conversation with Rhonda Stoppy, author of Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. You can find Rhonda at noregretswoman.com. And Rhonda, I just want to switch it up here for a minute. I work on the pro-family issues. Obviously, everything that you're talking about touches on the goodness of God's design for the family and how we um, invest in that to create a stable foundation for our society. And so We've seen a lot of deconstruction around the family, particularly over the last 
50, 60 years since the time of the sexual revolution. There's a lot of deviation from God's design. And there's a lot of Christians who are speaking on some really obvious um, uh, deviations from the design that have become more and more prevalent recently. We've had the same-sex marriage decision. We have a lot of, um, you know, the promotion of gender confusion and, and so on. And when I think about these things, something I think we often miss is how rooted they are in just the breakdown of sexuality in in marriage or with promiscuity or, um, you know, things like that that have come first and led to these further down the road issues that have come up. So what can moms do to talk to young young boys about sex and their sexuality? Is that the role of a mom? You know, what what do women need to be hearing on that? I think again, it's coming having them exposed to some some amazing heroes, some godly heroes in their life. Uh, I think of Paul's response as you were talking when he said, "I will preach Christ and Him crucified." Paul lived in a very decadent society. He went mm. to Corinth where there were temple prostitutes and and there were people sacrificing their babies on altars to other gods, which we do that when we abort a baby, we're sacrificing that baby on the altar of prosperity or convenience or whatever. And Paul said. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I want to live in a manner worthy of my calling. And as God has called us to live in this generation, he ordained. Jesus said, I, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you. That means in history for this time, that you should go and bear much fruit. I think all of those issues that are coming up that we're so concerned about for our children, and they are something we need to have good conversations with our kids about, but I also think that we as Christians lose sight of what Jesus said was the priority of life is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm. If I am loving God properly with my whole being, and see, we always want to go, I'm going to love God with all my strength with what I do. He's like, slow down, fall in love with me through the pages of Scripture. Then what will spill out of us is a selfless, adoring love for our children, for our families, a compassionate love for those that are blind, that cannot see the choices they're making are going to lead them to a path of destruction. And then hold out the gospel of truth. Uh, God said, I created you for my glory. That word glory means to reflect my character, to live in a generation mm-hmm. that is a light, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If I'm doing all that I'm doing for my lo- out of my love for Christ, that adoration for him will spill out on others, and that That's... will be the light. Yes, that is so important. Rhonda Stoppy, thank you so much for being with us today. You can go to noregretswoman.com and sign up for her quarterly email and um, check out her new book coming out, Real Life Romance in January. Thanks for listening today. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown, and we have had a great show today talking with Rhonda Stoppy about her book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, and how to call out the best in our children and the best in our boys. And we have had Barbara Rays Barnett here with us today who helps to organize the prayer and protest at Planned Parenthood facilities here in Phoenix and Arizona. And it makes me think about a new video that's been released by the Center for Medical Progress. 
they did the series of Planned Parenthood videos that we saw come out a year ago that revealed that Planned Parenthood was selling the body parts of the babies that they were aborting. And a new video just came out recently, which takes place here in Phoenix, in Arizona. The um, the medical director for uh, Planned Parenthood Arizona talks about how um, it's important not to have the baby look too intact when it comes out because it freaks out the other people in the room. And um, that the people who write the fetal death certificates for these babies refer to them as babies and how that that's creepy to the people at Planned Parenthood, which I can understand. And we need to be in prayer for these people who's, you know, Satan is definitely at war for their souls and their lives. Um, and she also talks about um, how when the digoxin doesn't kill the child in advance. It takes more bicep muscle and power for her to dismember this child in the womb. And that is just a really tough, tough issue, a dark issue that we are facing. But we all have the opportunity, one, to teach our children and the people in our families the truth to stand up and be a voice, and also to go out and be a voice, um, be counted, be in front of a Planned Parenthood facility, go online to um, protestpp.com and find out where you can get involved and get a hold of Rhonda's book and find out more about how you can raise your children to know and stand for the truth. I have loved being with you today. Thanks for listening to Koinonia on on. Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. And be sure to tune in Monday through Friday from 2 to 3. We'll see you next time.